For the News and Observer in Raleigh, North Carolina, I'm Lucille Sherman. This is the special 2020 elections edition of Domecast. Every week until November 3rd, I'll be spotlighting a different North Carolina legislative or statewide race. We only have a few more weeks left together, but this week we're going to take a look at Senate District 31, which encompasses Davie County and parts of Forsyth County. I'll be back with what you need to know about this race after this quick break. Senate District 31 has been pretty solidly Republican in recent years, so it's been fairly easy for Senator Joyce Kravick, the incumbent here, to win this seat. Her Democratic challenger, Terry Legrand, also ran for the seat in 2018, but lost. This year looks like it could be different, though. Since the district was redrawn, Democrats have much more of a chance to flip this seat. In 2018, Senate District 31 leaned heavily Republican, according to Civitas's partisan index. Now it leans slightly Republican, but much less so. Remember, Democrats need to gain five more seats to flip the state Senate, in addition to holding on to the seats they currently hold. Of the four most competitive Senate seats, this one, Senate District 31, looks like it could be among the hardest to win. By some accounts, the other competitive Senate districts are Senate District 1, 24, and 11, but it depends on who you ask. Incumbent Republican Senator Joyce Kravick owns a commercial real estate development company, and two of the first words that appear when you visit her campaign site are conservative and businesswoman. She was appointed to the House in 2012 to replace Representative Larry Brown, who passed away that year. And then she was appointed again in 2014, this time to the Senate, to replace Senator Pete Brunstetter after he left. She's held this seat ever since. Her opponent, Democrat Terry Legrand, works at Wake Forest University, where she obtained her law degree. She, again, first ran for the seat in 2018. I'll be keeping a close eye on this race on election night. I think it will be interesting. But to talk with me about some of the issues that have come up in this race, here's Danielle Battaglia, state politics reporter for the News and Observer. Thanks for coming on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. Senator Kravick currently chairs the Health and Human Services Appropriations Committee and the Health Care Committee. She's pretty well known for her work on healthcare-related legislation in the three years she's been in the Senate. One example of this is a piece of legislation she sponsored during the 2020 short legislative session this year called the No Patient Left Alone Act. Danielle, you covered this bill pretty closely. Can you tell me yes. sort of as, what it was As about? the title tells you, it's about not leaving patients left behind or alone. I would say behind, it's alone. And basically with COVID-19 in our country, a lot of the hospitals have banned family members from coming in because they don't want to spread the virus to other patients in the hospital and then, you know, bring it back outside the hospital. So no patient left alone was supposed to allow a member of the patient's family to be able to go into the hospital and be with them, to advocate for them, to spend time with them while they were in the hospital. 
Did Senator Kravik face any opposition in sponsoring um, this I vote? think there were questions, especially from Mandy Cohen, who is our DHHS secretary. And one of the things that kept being brought up is, you know, we don't want to spread this virus. So allowing people to go into the hospital, you had the possibility of bringing it to other patients who are have weaker immune systems. They're fighting their own viruses right now or illnesses and you know, they don't, they don't want to take the risk of having germs inside the hospital, but also I think bringing those germs back outside the hospital. And so that was the biggest point of contention I remember hearing in these discussions through, I think it was going on in June, was how to keep patients safe while still allowing them the dignity and respect of having family members present. One thing that I thought was interesting about this bill is that the state's health department, the Department of Health and Human Services, worried that if it was signed into law, it may not comply with federal laws. Those concerns are in addition to concerns about infection control, as you said. I talked a little bit with Senator Kravik about this bill during the session And this eventually moved lower on the list of priorities for her, especially with Medicaid transformation making its way through the legislature at the same time. The bill died in the Senate. Senator Kravik also championed a pretty controversial child welfare bill in this last session. She didn't sponsor the bill, but she carried it in the Senate. And when it hit the floor, there was a pretty memorable and spirited debate about this bill. Can you tell me what you remember about the debate on the floor? I know you were there and covering it pretty closely. Okay, so now I don't have a whole lot of the behind the scenes that led to this argument, but what I know is that Senator Kravik had worked with Senator Robinson on a bill that would basically require expectant mothers who had opioid addictions to go into treatment facilities and get help for their addiction. If they did that, it would help stop any like permanent placement from going forward, but they had to they had to complete the program. But it also would speed up the permanent placement of these children who had mothers with opioid addictions. And one of the things that 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 made Senator Robinson concerned about was there's a lot of African-American mothers who are facing opioid addictions, and she felt like this bill would create a problem where mothers wouldn't want to go get prenatal care because they would be found out that they had the opioid addiction. They could lose their children faster if they didn't go through the proper treatments. It's really hard to get into these treatment facilities as it is. And she felt like it just made minorities even more susceptible to disparities in the system. And one of the things she pointed out is they also have a lot of family that surrounds them. And so speeding up the foster system and getting a permanent placement would actually take them away from their like grandmothers or their aunts and uncles who could also help with the situation while they went and got treatment. And so there became a really huge fight between them because Senator Kravik said she didn't look into the racial disparity numbers on like who is being affected by the opioid addiction. And Senator Robinson basically started screaming at her that she just didn't care about African-Americans and who was being affected. She just wanted this change in the system. And Senator Berger had to call for decorum on the floor because it was getting so tense between the two of them. 
Right. And this bill ended up passing in the Senate and in the House. I wasn't there for the Senate debate, but I was in the House when the bill was on the floor. I remember Representative Sidney Batch said on the House floor that more than a dozen organizations came out in opposition of this bill. And by the time it got to the governor's desk, I've been told even more organizations came out in opposition and Governor Roy Cooper ended up vetoing the bill. That was also going on on the Senate floor. They already had the organizations coming out and speaking out against it. And that was another thing that was causing some tension between the two women. Yeah, I think those two bills, the No Patient Left Alone Act and the Child Welfare Bill, are a pretty good sampling of the types of legislation Senator Kravik has championed in her tenure in the Senate. Now I want to move to Kravik's Democratic opponent in this race, Terry LeGrand. Kravik's campaign has gone pretty hard after LeGrand, saying she supports defunding the police. LeGrand denies this, but it's also my understanding that she signed a pledge that Republicans have brought up many times in recent weeks. You've covered this pledge pretty extensively, including fact-checking it, so can you fill me in on the pledge and what it means that LeGrand signed it and what Republicans are saying about it? There is a pledge that was signed by, I forget how many people now in North Carolina, all politicians including people running in the 2020 general election. And LeGrand is one of them. It is a pledge by the Future Now Fund. And it gets very confusing and very technical because the Future Now Fund hosts the pledge. And there is so like certain topics they're supposed to work towards making changes that this organization wants. And what they're saying is they thought they signed for... Ending mass incarceration and racial profiling. So that was their their understanding of the two law enforcement related topics that they would be working towards when elected or as they go forward with their current term. And so here's where it gets confusing. The Future Now Fund has a link to the America's Goals site, which is the same name as the pledge is America's Goals Pledge. And that has a whole lot of different topics which match up to the Future Now Fund pledge are these topics that they're supposed to be working towards. And what they basically are saying is that they're, and when I say they, I'm talking the Future Now Fund, they're saying that they have on that website policies that they could take up or not. They, They basically have a choice. Nothing is like set in stone, but one of them is called reallocating funds for law enforcement, which Republicans are saying you're defunding the police. And, you know, LeGrand has come out pretty strongly saying she doesn't support defunding police. She does support reallocating money given to police to look at things like mental health and addiction, because these are things that we see a lot in law enforcement as they get calls to a lot of um, what we're seeing with officer involved shootings have these components of mental health or addiction involved in it. So there's, there's a strong case towards that, but also law enforcement doesn't actually, you know, it's not their wheelhouse to deal with mental health. That's more social services. And so there's a back and forth, like, did they pledge to defund police? Did they pledge to do anything with financing police? 
Republicans are saying absolutely they pledge to defund the police, calling it reallocating funds is just like, you know, a term to confuse people. That's not their exact words, but basically what they're saying. And they're saying we didn't sign that. All we signed was for those two topics, the any mass incarceration and racial profiling. And they did receive money. I don't know that LeGrand was one of the um, candidates who received money, but there was a list of candidates that receive money for their campaigns after signing this. So it's been very tense between the Democrats and the Republicans because of this pledge. Yeah, things are tense for many reasons, but yes, this definitely is one of those. One thing I've noticed is it seems like there's a difference in definition of what defund means, depending on who you talk to. It's a phrase both parties have used, but it seems like each party has a different definition of what it means. And so LeGrand has said Kravik is lying by saying her opponent wants to defund the police. But is she? It seems like it's more of a difference in definition. Republicans think defund the police means taking away all funding for police and dismantling the police effectively. And Democrats view it as reallocating some funding from law enforcement to areas that could support law enforcement in things like domestic violence or mental health-related calls. Is that your perception? I'm wondering what your sense of the differences and definitions of defund is over the course of reporting on this particular topic. Yeah, I know you're right. And I think you're seeing that with the protest too, is different groups that are protesting have different definitions. So I think the majority of the United States doesn't want to dismantle police. There are some people who are using that so strongly and so to the very definition. But I think one of the things that we keep hearing and and LeGrand has said is she wants to get people back to respecting law enforcement and and having faith in them. And, you know, again, the calls that we're seeing that end in these like police violence are a lot of the mental health calls of the substance abuse calls. And so it makes sense to funnel money into those areas. But you also see people who just don't want police. They think they're the problem and they're an issue. And we also saw, I believe the city of Asheville had recently voted to to change up funding with their city, with law enforcement. And you saw our legislation quickly come out and say, fine, we'll defund you if you defund them. And so, you know, I think I think that's probably going to be a hot topic coming up in the long session. Yeah, this is interesting because Senator Kravik is a champion of healthcare legislation. And I fully expected that to be a huge topic in this election. But with everything we have going on, this topic, defunding the police, has become an important one in this race because there are so many different things happening this year and law enforcement-related issues have come to the forefront here too. Is there anything else you think voters need to know about this race? I would say this for any race that any person is voting in, but you know there is a lot of confusion on what candidates are saying each other said and what candidates are actually saying. And I would do a lot of research and make sure you understand exactly what you're voting for before going to the polls. Thanks so much for making the time to talk with me about these complicated issues, Danielle. Thanks for having me. It's been fun.
We'll be right back after this quick break. It's Tuesday, October 13th. There are 21 days left until the general election. Since we're just three weeks out from election day, it's no surprise that there's quite a bit of election news. First, early voting in North Carolina starts in two days, on Thursday, October 15th. If you miss the deadline to register to vote, you can visit a one-stop early voting site and both register and vote until October 31st. Don't forget to check out the News and Observer's voter guide to prepare for your visit to the polls. Also on Thursday, President Donald Trump will make a stop in North Carolina. He'll be visiting Greenville less than two weeks after being hospitalized for COVID-19, and we'll be covering his visit. Our DC correspondent, Brian Murphy, is still covering all the developments in North Carolina's U.S. Senate race. There's new news every day, so head to newsobserver.com to read more. Lastly, Danielle Battaglia and I covered allegations against an appointee for North Carolina's State Board of Elections last week. After the only two Republican board members of the State Board of Elections resigned a few weeks ago following a controversial vote changing absentee ballot election rules, Governor Roy Cooper had to appoint two new members to the board. After we started asking questions to the governor's office about these allegations against appointee Karmic Lamb, Cooper rescinded the appointment. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week.